You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to the E2C Network podcast by Auburn fans for Auburn fans. Brought to you by the Auburn Uniform Database. Visit them at auburnuniforms.com. War Eagle Auburn fans, welcome to Inside the Jungle, your source for Auburn men's basketball analysis and discussion. Tonight we're going to be breaking down another game for the Auburn men's basketball team. This time we'll be talking about Auburn versus the Furman Paladins and shockingly we are going to be talking about a game tonight that we had not much anticipated we thought Auburn would walk into Auburn Arena and be able to handle what was supposedly going to be an inferior opponent but they squeak out a win in overtime to the Furman Paladins 81 to 78 pushing their overall record to 8 and 0 on the year we're going to talk about everything from the game the news the storylines and break it down here to do that I brought in my friend and my co-host Mr. Drew Hooper Drew, are you still sweating from last night? Uh, no, because I said we have a 99% chance to win the game. We won the game, so yeah, take what you get. I thought about that, Drew, after or uh, as the game was going on. You know, Drew's going to have a lot of egg on his face if we lose this game after calling a 99% confidence in winning this. But, uh, I mean, hey, like you said, we pulled it through here, so I'm glad that uh, we're not talking about a Barry situation or anything like that. Although, let's give Furman credit, though, Drew. Furman is not a pushover we should beat them 99 percent of the time but they're not someone that you should really look past and take seriously and that's exactly what albert almost did last night i i think the biggest thing for me that i don't like and we've talked a lot about bruce pearl scheduling so far and i get what he was trying to do but i don't like the long week layoffs between games right and especially with the holiday tossed in there it, it looked like we ate a little too much at the <laughs> dinner table on Thursday, a lot of lagging arms, not getting their hands up in the face of defenders. And Auburn got a little scared, but ultimately was able to pull it off. So you mentioned the layoff here. It was a nine-day layoff, including with a Thanksgiving holiday here. And the big question I have is, did it affect the Tigers? Or on the flip side, is it just Furman was a lot better than we anticipated? Which of those do you kind of lean more towards? I, I think Furman was better than anticipated. They shot the ball really well. They did a lot of the little things well. And they, Andy Kennedy called the game, and he alluded to the fact that the Furman coach will bring guys in, redshirt them, and really let them develop and mature. And you, you're facing a lot of juniors and seniors out there, which we have juniors and seniors. But it, it was just a well-oiled machine. Have They've been in the system for a while. And so I think it's part of that. But I think it's also we left on such a high at the – what was it? Legends classic. Is that what we played in yes, one of the yeah. 30 million holiday tournaments? <laughs> yeah. it, we, it, we're coming off such a high with that going into Thanksgiving. I mean, how, how does everyone else in the world do Thanksgiving? We go spend time with our family. We eat too much. We have a good time. We don't pay attention to things you're not trying to get a gym workout on a Thursday. You're not trying to get shots up or anything. And these are college kids. They, 
definitely do Thanksgiving just like you and I do. They're normal, regular guys that happen to be really good at basketball. And guaranteed, a lot of factors weighed into this being such a tight game. But I'm glad that this team found a way to fight out of that. I kind of lean more towards the argument of that Furman was just a lot better than most people were anticipating. It sounds like Coach Pearl and his coaching staff anticipated something to this effect, maybe not this extreme, having to go to overtime to beat them. Uh, but it, it does seem that they were a very solid team. And I thought, like as you already mentioned, Andy Candy and the rest of the uh, TV broadcast staff did a great job of breaking down what they expect from this Furman program this season and talking about how their team's made up redshirting a lot of players early on and now you've got a great group of redshirt juniors and seniors and even sophomores up to this point so i think Furman is a very good basketball team right now i think they're sitting about second or third in terms of record for their uh, conference situation right now obviously nobody's played conference games yet but just their non-conference record factored into that so Furman is going to be a team as we've talked about throughout the entire of the auburn schedule that was put on there for a reason None of these games have been a team, for the most part, that should not be competing for their conference title at the event. So for those Auburn fans that kind of push the panic button a little bit when they see this happen, that is my uh, takeaway for you. The solace that you can take from the results of this game is that Auburn hosted a very good basketball team and they weren't struggling uh, against someone that was really, really inferior. Now, to the point of struggling, 16% 16% from the free throw, uh, not the free throw. Whoa, we'll get there in a second. The three-point line tonight, Drew, what, what, what's the deal? Was it just one of those nights where Auburn couldn't get a basket to fall in, or were they just taking bad shots? I think a lot of it was we took bad shots. We definitely tried most of the night to fit the ball down to Wiley, and it was like shoving into, trying to shove a square into a round hole, and it was just not working. <laughs> But by by God, we were going to keep trying it. And up until the last six minutes of the game, we really stopped trying that. And that was the biggest thing I saw. We were waiting. We couldn't get down there. We ended up having to take a three or four second shot bailout. And our two biggest culprits that I noticed on the night, I mean, Samir Daddy went 0 of 7. I thought he had some really good in rhythm ones that just ended up not hitting. He just was off that night. But Purefoy jacked up a lot of bad shots, and Devin Cambridge also had two real howler of shots. And the analytics actually point that out, is that their their true shot percentage were the two lowest on the team, Cambridge at 20% and Purefoy at 30%. And that kind of measures, did they take a good shot? It doesn't matter if they miss it. Did they take a good shot? Was it in, not being defended? Was it in a open area of the field? of the pitch not pitch good gracious this isn't soccer this isn't selfish time come on get on the right show drew on the court and i thought those were our that was our biggest area of weakness of just i think we forced up a lot of shots and that's why the percentage were so low yeah i think you saw a lot of those situations where we a little bit of overconfidence took over there it's like all right well this is get out of hand well we can just knock down a couple of threes and hey we're gonna be back in this thing we're back in full control of this and then instead it bounced the actual opposite way i mean when Furman mounts a 14 point lead against the auburn tigers in this day and age that is something to turn your head at there so i think a lot of factors rolled into and just kind of snowballed into that what resulted into a 14 point lead for Furman and them having the lead going to happen for much of the second half I think it was what 
probably what was it the six minute mark when we finally got the lead back drew yeah we stayed in that two basket distance like about the 10 minute mark and i think really up until the final minute is when we actually got that lead and really figured it out and then ended up getting tied at the end but it wasn't until that six minute mark that Furman, I think, started to get a little nervous. Oh, this game may slip away because they were well in the driver's seat for the beginning of that second half. And I feel like you could kind of feel the energy shift on the Furman sideline too, whereas in the first half and the majority of the second half, you saw them playing with a lot of confidence and energy, and they instead they were playing to win, and instead they kind of switched to a mode of playing not to lose, I felt. They were panicking. It was like, oh, we're not going to be able to pull off this great upset. And obviously with Auburn kind of switching gears a little bit as well resulted in Auburn getting the win here uh just a little bit back to that three point percentage of 16 percent here just to give you an idea of what was made four attempt or four shots were made out of 25 attempts that is disgusting and the people that made those three-point shots were Purifoy uh I haven't it's it's actually hard to find here on this list McCormick Anthony McLemore and Jamal Johnson now Speaking of bringing up one of those guys' names, Anthony McLemore. I don't think that there's any voodoo or anything like that, but may I point out that one Anthony McLemore decided to shave his head and we played terrible. Is there anything to that? No, because I'm not a Wiccan, so that's not really my <laughs> my juju. But let's let's say here, we, we've been talking a lot about the Samir Dowdy headband. When he started wearing that, he just turned his game up. Granted, he had a terrible game with the headband on here, but there's got to be something to that, Drew. I mean... It's, it's like, let's not go Wiccan. How about like Samson? Let's go biblical. You, you take away the locks and your strength goes away. Is, well, come on. I, go with I, don't, I don't think there was a biblical mandate that the Lord gave to Anthony McLemore to have hair. <laughs> I mean, the, the Samson story, that's a whole different ball game. Like the Lord said, Samson, you're keeping your hair. Samson's like, I'm going to do what I want. So for, for you Bible people out there, like Anthony McLemore, there was nothing where God said, Anthony, I'm going to really need you to keep your hair. And <laughs> I, Nah, it's it just, I I think it's coming off the long layoff. And I think Furman was a tougher team, like you said. But I think it was just coming off that long layoff, coming off a really big high. Uh, I I akin this it to a to the UAB game of last year. Uh, that That's really, I'm going to keep harping back to that because I think that's where Auburn really got us. I mean, they lost the game, but I think that's really where they, they kind of, the wheels fell off a little bit and they had to re-piece it back together. I think this one, Maybe they were getting a little too high for themselves, and this makes them put the pieces back together and put the hard work in. Did you mean NC State when you said UAB? I was making sure. No, I had to... the, the the UAB game last year. Because remember, we went to UAB. They drug us down the mud. It was a really oh, annoying yeah. game. That coach was like all over everyone, the most annoying guy on the face of the planet. Yeah, and, thanks for reminding and, me. Yeah, and we just, I mean, we couldn't do anything. Couldn't score, yeah. couldn't turn the ball over. He was, like, clapping everyone's face. You're going to get me on a tangent because I hated that game. <laughs> well, that's what we love about these shows, tangents. I mean, we wouldn't have a show if we didn't go on tangents here. Uh, but, okay, how about this? The team as a whole played terrible for the majority of the game tonight. Who on Auburn's team actually had a good game? <sighs> you know, it's it's <laughs> tough because I think – I think we had guys who had good games in spurts. I don't think we had anyone really have a good overall game. Alan Flanagan played well in his little minutes. Yeah. I know that that's someone that both you and I talked about off air that we really liked. I don't think Okoro had a really strong game. I thought, yeah, he may have led the scoring, but he looked very uncertain about what he wanted to do at times. 
and really was caught in between two minds. And when you hesitate, no matter what it's in basketball and war or whatever, you lose. Yeah. And there was a lot of times he lost out. And I, I thought Flanagan played well in his limited minutes. He he came in with the energy, a tenacity, and really got Auburn up on a tempo, finished four for four shooting. He can't hit a free throw to save his life as a coach's son. That's something dad should be pulling to the side. And grandpa's a coach too, and really getting all over him about. But I thought he did really well in his minutes. Yeah, I really loved um, the energy that he brought to the floor when he was there and making an, an impact at, at very, I thought, crucial moments. Uh, still making some mistakes along the way there, but he was very key to not letting this thing slip away even further. And that's what you got to have your bench guys do. They're coming in there not just to like give the guys a rest. You actually want them to contribute and be able to make a difference in the flow of the game and hopefully a positive influence. And I thought uh, what, uh, Flanagan did that a lot uh, when he came in here. Y- you know, I thought Okoro showed that he's still a freshman last night. And let's not take away anything from him here. He had 18 points. He's our highest score on the night. He was 0% from three-point land. He was eight for nine from the free throw line. I mean, he's the only one who decided I'm going to make my free free throws. And I think that's why you don't look at this as a bad game for him because of the points he scored, because he had such a great free throw line stat. But even Andy Kennedy brought it up throughout the game. He said that was a freshman moment for him. That was an indecisive moment for Okoro. So I I think when you – as we talk through this more, Drew, I'm finding more of those little things that all kind of just fit together into what almost was a catastrophe to Auburn where Okoro was having what would be considered an off night in most instances. The three three throws were terrible. Free throws were terrible. um, And somehow – some way Auburn is able to pull this thing out of here tonight. So let's address the elephant in the room, so to speak. Um, those free throws, Drew. How do, we got to do something about this. How do you go from one of the best free throw shooting teams in the entire nation last year to probably the worst? What is going on with this free throw shooting? Graduate Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. That's typically how that happens. But that's such a simple answer, though. It can't be as simple as that. I, I mean, it's I think it's as simple, and Andy Kennedy noted this too. Uh, McCormick is the worst guard free throw shooter that's a starter in the SEC. Did you know that stat? I did not. That, that's not actually you did, saying something mean. That's actually facts. no. Yeah, the, Andy Kennedy pointed out that he is statistically, as far as the starters this season, the worst free throw shooter for a guard in the SEC, and that that's a worrying stat because guards are notorious for being able to get in the lane, take that contact, make their free throws. And I, I really started going back to the Relodex and thinking, you know what? That, that's right. He doesn't tend to hit his free throws. Samir Dowdy pretty good at it, but it, I think it's just one of those that I, I don't know it, whether it's not taking it seriously, whether it's not getting into the rhythm, whether it's needing to change your rhythm, something needs to happen. I, I know Bruce Pearl's, absolutely livid i don't think he's like will muschamp blackout hit a blackboard livid yet. <laughs> but i think he's getting there and honestly it's something that i think it's frustrating the whole fan base because i mean you look that's 10 points left on the board you you score those 10 points that that game changes drastically because there's a point during the game where we were tied with Furman in the first half and we had missed seven free throws and you're thinking you know what you hit those free throws guess what Furman may have just go ahead and wave the white flag if you're up 10, 15 points in the first half. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, you really do have to have those because they are such uh, crucial at keeping things from going worse or even maintaining a lead that you've built throughout this. And, you know, we're not talking about just the free throws at the end of the score at the end of that stat line. We're talking about throughout the course of the game here. Uh, another person I want to bring some attention to, mainly because he was getting mauled throughout the entire game, um, mainly because we were forcing it into him, Austin Wiley. You talked about it earlier. That seemed to be the focus for whatever reason. And I don't think it's just this game, Drew. I think it's we, – we've mentioned it a couple of times in other episodes. We've seen a concerted effort to get the ball into Austin Wiley. And while I admire that, and I, and I appreciate that we are trying to kind of make, diversify ourselves and, and make ourselves a more well-rounded team and utilize what we have on the floor, but I think you really saw that bite Auburn in the butt this game. And it caused a lot of turnovers, uh, 19 turnovers for Auburn. It resulted in 20 points for the Paladins tonight. And while Austin, I thought he had no turnovers. And when he got the ball and wasn't getting mauled and they actually got it completely to him, he made it count with a couple of great dunks down there and some putbacks on offensive rebounds. I thought, Pete, you have a case for Austin to have a great game tonight. What did you think about his play? I thought he played all right. I mean, he wasn't as impressive as he was in the Legends Classic, where he was just really going off. But I think a lot of that comes from he was so good in that little stretch because we weren't forcing the ball to him. Like People know Austin Wiley's good. That's not a secret. You have a 6'11 guy, 17th in the nation in his recruiting class, is ripped like he was carved from stone himself. Like, by get- <laughs> like I mean dude looks like he is made from science like it's just something bizarre we have the technology and and like you know like you know he's good teams don't we're not going to sneak him by anyone and I thought what we what we saw in the Richmond game and what we saw in the New Mexico game is we were getting him touches in the run of play yeah and that's whenever that team just clicked everything looked nice and flowy and I don't know why the concerted effort to really dump it down to him is, but I think Auburn is a team under Bruce Pearl, what we've seen over the past couple of years, especially last year at its peak, is they have to be free-flowing. They cannot get stagnant. Whether that was last year shooting the threes, I think this year it's doing a lot of things. It's driving the lane. It is pulling up from three. It is getting Austin touches in the paint, but it has to be flowing. And whenever it gets disjointed and stagnant like this, we're going to get in tough games. And I think you see Dowdy, who normally takes care of the ball really well, with six turnovers because he was trying to force it down there a yep. lot. We see Okoro, six turnovers. Because I remember at least three or four times that he was getting the ball picked off on that that dumb down pass. And I mean, those aren't guys that often turn it over. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get like one to two turnovers from him, but ultimately like it was just trying to, to shove something that wasn't going to work. Yeah. And credit goes to Furman in this one, because obviously the game plan was to put some pressure on Wiley and not just Wiley, but the entry pass to him down there. And it resulted in a lot of turnovers because of it. I mean, you don't see Dowdy or a Coral having that amount of turnovers on a regular basis. So credit does go to them. They had a couple of great players uh, that had some some pretty good nights. Obviously, Gurley, you know, Auburn fans have reactions to that name for other reasons in, in football with Georgia. Uh, but one that kept sticking out to me, and I don't know if it's just the mounts. He's a, a large forward, and somehow he shoots like Dirk Nowitzki. He was three for four from uh, for a three throw, not free throw, but I'm struggling with that one tonight, but the three-point line. 
And uh, he just he kept hitting shots for them when it really counted for him. And he was almost a nightmare. And thankfully, he found he fouled out. They actually had three players foul out on the night: Gurley, Slauson, and Mounts. And you know, I got to be honest, Drew. I, I don't know that Auburn wins this game if those three don't foul out. Oh yeah, for sure. Gurley was was taken at the task because if I'm not mistaken, he was the one that took it right into Okoro's chest at the end yeah. of the game to tie it up. And I mean, Gurley was really good. I thought your one guy that you mentioned had a Luis Scola vibes for days. Do you know, you remember who Luis Scola was played for the Rockets, Argentinian long flowing hair. Like yes. that guy did yeah. just had the same moves with he, he would beat you very grandpa style. You're like, man, that guy shouldn't be good. And just really go to task on people. And I thought Mounts played that same sort of style just knew where to be at all times. It was really annoying. He got a lot of tap outs as, in the offensive rebounding department. And you know what? Like, Furbin is going to be a scary team come tournament time. I think they'll make the tournament. I I don't know the SOCON very well, but if there's a team right. better than Furman in that SOCON, they should get two bids because Furman's a pretty darn good team. And I think that's someone that's going to put a scare into someone come March time. And let me remind the listeners, this is the team that beat Villanova last year in the tournament, and this is the team that took Tennessee down to the wire. Uh, so they've had a history of taking down uh, very good basketball teams or becoming very close. And thankfully, Auburn comes on the better side of that uh, tonight. So let's talk about the end of the game to kind of wrap up our discussion of this one. And moving into overtime, we see Auburn with the ball in their hands coming down the court, and Javon McCormick takes – what would be, I think, an interesting decision. Um, on first glance, it looks like he makes the the right decision to kind of run towards the goal for a layup and instead kind of tries to do a little backwards behind the 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 head little layup there from the other side he came from and uh, just barely misses it. But I think from your point of view, Drew, he should have just taken the contact there and gone for the free throws, even though he is statistically the worst free throw shooting guard in the SEC right now. So what were your thoughts about that final choice to go into overtime? Well, I'm going to preface it by saying I like, I don't want to be a keyboard warrior or anything like that. Like I, it's easy for me to sit here and look and hindsight's always 2020. Uh, but I, my, my, my thought was, I thought the play was well set up. I, the pick for the blow by McCormick is, lightning fast and I thought that was a good play just to get him ahead of steam get him going and really get him to the basket and I thought it was good but I think there was a shift with him being on the right side him being right-handed he was going up for the right-handed layup he had that protection with his body on one side and I thought the guy coming across the lane that he was really trying to dodge if he would have went for contact the guy wouldn't have blocked it I, I mean he could have blocked it. But I think when we go back and look at the video and really look at that, I think we don't have to go to overtime if he looks for the contact rather than looking for the spectacular. Uh, because, I mean, ultimately we get the win, but I, I think that's something of maybe we were trying to do a little too much there at the end. But you escape with a win, win's a win as far oh, as yeah. I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. Here, you know, it's all gravy at the end of this thing because Auburn takes control in overtime and uh, puts them away, thankfully. Uh, still, they, they hung on to the very end there, knocking down a three late uh, to kind of put themselves in position. Oh, that and that even reminds me, the last thing I want to talk about is that somewhat controversial call that went Auburn's way at the very end. In your opinion, was that ball tipped and should it have been Furman's ball for that last possession? Mm, I, 
it's so minuscule and tight. It like it's hard. Andy Kennedy was trying to push like, whoa, it changed direction. It did this, that, and the other. I, I didn't think it did personally, yeah. uh, but it is what it is. We got away with it, but we do have one other note. Speaking of Andy Kennedy, I totally forgot about this guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did a memory dump on you middle of the game. You'll come to learn that this season that sometimes I just got to get thoughts out there, but Andy Kennedy made a strong point of talking about his time at Ole Miss and what he thought his best team was. And yeah, we see Andy Kennedy win the sec title with Marshall Henderson, crazy man, but he noted uh, that his best team was that I think it was 08, 09 team. Maybe been 09, 010, whatever. But they were, he said that they ended up going 24 and 10. And the reason he's, he said they were my best team as far as talent, as far as how he played and everything. But really what broke them was that they ranked dead last in the SEC in free throws. I thought you would find that interesting, but I thoroughly found that interesting is, is that going to be a hamstring for this Auburn team? Oh, 100%. I, it's not just about me being an Auburn fan and being a hamstring for an, an Auburn basketball team. Basketball in general, if you cannot be successful from the free throw line, you will lose games. And you will not only – I would say there are teams that can overcome that, but you will put yourselves in situations, as we saw tonight, where you are susceptible to bad things happening to you, and sometimes they do happen. So I think that's a very interesting fact that he brought up. Uh, that even as successful as that team was, they could have been even better from a free throw shooting standpoint and what could have been. I mean, yeah, they got a championship in the SEC out of it, but what could not have been? Not that year. Not that I year, mean, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, he he even thinks his be- his most talented team was the one that didn't win the SEC championship. He thinks right. he would have had a far better team with that one if they could have yeah. hit free throws. And mm-hmm. just to remind everyone where we sit right now, Auburn's sitting at a 65% free throw percentage which is nowhere near good enough. And they average 16 attempts a game. I mean, you got to think how many points are getting left on the board for this Auburn team. I have a migraine right now. Then you just said that stat. So thank you for that. That's just, it's got to be improved. If that, that's my one takeaway from this game is, is I I know that coach pro even pointed out, we were shooting more free throws this past week of practice than we have in any point uh, of this, of this season so far. And it's clear. I don't know what you've got to do, but something's got to change with the free throw thing. I think or, or I, things... I think I know what you need to do. What's that? You, you know what? We got a game on December 14th against St. Louis that provides a perfect opportunity to prove to everyone that you know how to hit a basket. <laughs> That's possible. <there. laughs> yeah, you do have an opportunity uh, to improve a little bit. So we'll talk about that game here. Auburn and St. Louis in the Mike Slive Invitational in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, St. Louis comes in with a 7-1 and one record. And the game will be at 3 p.m. Central Time this Saturday, the 14th. You can watch that on ESPN2. Now, let's talk about the St. Louis team just a little bit. They are coming off a game currently, as we're recording this, a win over uh, Southern Illinois, the Salukis. Now, Drew, isn't that one of Coach Pearl's former teams? Do I have that right, or is that another? No, that's Wisconsin-Milwaukee. That's who I was thinking of. Thank you for that, for clarifying that. But the Salukis, you know, they've had a little bit of – a history of making some noise every once in a while, but I wouldn't call that a, an outstanding win on that part. 69 to 60, they won that game. They will play Tulane before they play us. Most likely will probably win that game. Their only loss in the season comes to, at the time, number 12 ranked Seton Hall. So from my point of view, Drew, this is Auburn's big game of the year thus far. Where do you stand on that opinion? 
I, I would say so. St. Louis is a decent team. Shouts to them playing Tulane and Phoenix. I, I haven't figured that one out yet. Yeah, but interesting. It, but whatever. I, I think this is going to be a really interesting game. Like you said, Seton Hall was their only ranked game so far. Didn't fare too well in it. They played the Salukis close, which I know are not a great team right now because they're up from my neck of the woods. Played Boston College pretty close. Played Belmont pretty close. So they get in these little dogfight games. And I think if Auburn can come out and really land a haymaker too early, I, I would hope like Seton Hall did put this game away. Yeah, and I, I think that's key for Auburn there is you do really have to kind of establish it early. And if you do, I think Auburn walks away with this one. Not not in the sense that they're just going to run over them, but that I think they will struggle to get uh, back into the game in a very serious sense. Now, here's the other angle of this, Drew, we've got to talk about. You wanted no more long layoffs. Well, you're not getting it here. Eight days until the next game, to the, till this game. Do you think the Tigers will have a similar performance in Birmingham with this long layoff I don't because this one doesn't have a holiday wedged in it I I think holiday I mean obviously the guys got to probably go home and spend some time with family because in New York obviously you know what Samir Daddy's from Philly gonna just go ahead and go to Philly this that and the other I, I don't think this is a big deal they're back in class finals time really getting their work in and everything I don't think this one's gonna be as big of a deal for this Auburn team as much as the holiday break was. Well, I would argue they might have even more the the final situation right now. They've got to focus on that at the moment. And, you know, while I'm not going to sit here and say that everybody on that team is probably just, you know, the academic scholarship potential out, out there, and maybe they are. We know Anthony McElmore is because he turned down going to an Ivy League school. We haven't even heard that mentioned this year yet. But I would say they do have a little bit of a distraction, but maybe not to the extent of travel with Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. But there is potential for that to happen again. We're going to hope that it doesn't. A couple of players for you to keep an eye on. Actually, only one because he is taking over two categories for the St. Louis Billikens. That's an interesting name. Uh, Jordan Goodwin, he's a junior guard. He is their top scorer, 15.9 points per game, and also their top rebounder at 10.4 per game uh, on rebounds. So he is averaging a double-double this season thus far. Uh, Drew, do you think that is Jordan Goodwin is just that good, or do you think a lot of their forwards are probably not as good if he's the top rebounder? I think he he's a good player. He was a good player for them last year too. I, I think this is a very well-coached, well-put-together team. And really the other thing that kind of gives me pause going into this game is they average about 10 steals a game and average about six blocks a game. So they are good on the defensive end. They're going to make Auburn work for their shots. The good thing is, too, they are really bad at making free throws just as well. So it could just be a complete debacle from the free throw line, which would be just a great t- night for me. If, <laughs> if you want to feel better about Auburn, they're shooting about 52% from free throw. Oh my goodness. Drew, what are you doing to me tonight? All right, enough about free throws and poor percentages. Uh, you can watch that game, like we said, uh, this next Saturday, the 14th at 3 p.m. Central Time. Now, a quick update for you before we get out of here for the women's program. Uh, for Auburn, they are currently sitting at four and four. They're coming off a win over South Alabama, eighty-two to sixty-two, uh, kind of bouncing back from a few early struggles in the non-conference play. Their next game will be at TCU in uh, Fort Worth uh, this Saturday, the seventh at two p.m. Central Time, and there is no TV option. So if you want to pay attention to that, you have to follow on social media 
or on the radio as well. Final thoughts, Drew, before we get out of here and look forward to the St. Louis game. I, not really. I think, you know what, Auburn got a scare. I'm always big about teams getting scares too, as long as we end up winning the game. So I'm hoping this will be able to fuel Auburn a little bit to go forward, make the necessary changes, really ramp up that intensity and play really the way we saw them play against New Mexico and Richmond in that Legends Classic. We will find out how they respond in about a week's time. That's all we have for you in this edition. Before we get out of here, Drew, where can they find you on social media? You can find me at Drew underscore hoop, H-O-P-0-2 on the Twitterverse. And you can find me on Twitter as well at TigerEye24. We appreciate you listening to this edition of Inside the Jungle. Until we talk to you again, War Eagle. War Eagle. Before you get out of here, we want to remind you of a couple of things. Head over to E2Cnetwork.com, our website where you can find everything that you'll ever need from us, podcasts, blogs, and even ways to help support the show. If you want to find individual episodes, you can download all of these on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So until we see you again, I want to remind you of one thing, that here at the network, we believe in Auburn and love it. The only question remains, do you?